everybody, and welcome to Speakernomics, the podcast about becoming a better speaker and building a better business. My name is Tom Singer, and I have the honor to be the host of this show. And this is the official podcast of the National Speakers Association. Hey, before we get started today, this episode is brought to you by Advance Your Reach, an innovative company that changes lives every day by helping speakers, entrepreneurs, and anyone with a mission to build their very own platforms, seize the mic, and change the world. All right, so today on Speakernomics, we are going to talk about humor. Now, we all know the old saying that, you know, I think it was Zig Ziglar. Somebody said, hey, do you have to be funny if you want to be a professional speaker? And he replied, only if you want to get paid. So we all know that humor is important for speakers. But today we have a guest who knows all about this. Today, our guest is Andrew Tarvin. Hey, Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. I am honored and excited to be here. All right, so what are your two tips for speakers on how to better utilize humor? First tip is to learn to tap into or unlock your own natural style of humor. Tip number one. Tip number two is to be more intentional about how you're going to use humor strategically, not just in your speaking, but in the entire business as a whole. Awesome. Well, for those of you who don't know Drew Tarvin, he teaches non-comedians the secrets of using humor more effectively in their communication at work and in life. And he has a TED Talk called The Skill of Humor that has over 10 million views. That's a lot of views. So humor is obviously important in work and in life. And it's certainly important for people who are making their living as a speaker. And when you can harness this, you're going to be able to make more money and build a better business. So, Drew, your first tip was identify and unlock your style of humor. What do you mean by styles of humor? It's a great question, Dom. And so, yeah, the the skill of humor TEDx talk that I have done, very fortunate, has a little over 10 million views, uh, only half of which were my mom. I think feeling pretty good about it. But it was all basically this idea that if humor is a skill, it can be learned. And since that talk has come out, as I've worked with organizations, as I've worked with CEOs and also speakers, et cetera, have really discovered if humor is a skill and it can be learned, then the question isn't, are you funny? The question is, what kind of funny are you? Or what kind of funny do you want to be? And so with our research, we've kind of discovered these seven kind of primary humor personas that are different because your humor is different than my humor. And what is natural to me is different than what's natural to you. All right. So I want to dive in and find out what these seven humor personas are. So what are they? Certainly. So uh, the seven personas are, are based kind of in this category. The first two are focused more on your sense of humor. So if, if you find a lot of joy and positivity in the life or you see the world in an interesting way, you have a strong sense of humor. And if you just enjoy the things out there, you become an enthusiast. An enthusiast is very valuable because it is people who laugh a lot, who smile a lot. They're great to be around. They're the people in your audience who you are always checking in with because they're the ones nodding their head or smiling along or doing that kind of stuff. They're the ones that I love because if I say a pun like, you know, what's the, what's the key to being a good ghost to act super natural, <laughs> uh, right? It's the enthusiasts <laughs> that actually laugh at a terrible joke. Like, so enthusiasts are great. And enthusiasts is great to be as a speaker, 
right? When you are working with the client, if you want to make them feel good or positive, you smiling, nodding along, et cetera, when you're having that one-on-one conversation, great moment to be. Then you also have the curator. So if you take that enthusiasm and share it with other people, the things that make you laugh or smile, share with other people, you become the curator. And curation is great because it's, you know, it's sending the, the memes in a group chat with your friends. It is using images from like uh, Unsplash or other places in your presentation itself. It's recognizing that to effectively use humor, you don't always have to be the creator of it, but instead you can be kind of the curator of it, right? So you're sharing these things. This is great for follow-up with clients, right? We will send follow-up emails to clients that are like, hey, it was great chatting with you on a discovery call today. Here's kind of what you're looking for. Oh, by the way, this funny moment happened in our meeting and I'm now calling it back. I'm curating kind of what happened in the moment. Or if I'm reaching out to a client that I haven't heard from, it's like, hey, we chatted last week, haven't heard from you. I just wanted to check to see if you had any questions. P.S. I saw this image that I thought you might like. And then that's a a cartoon or a meme or a video or something related to their industry or their company where it's like, I didn't create it, but I can link out to it. And now it's kind of like, hey, I was just thinking of you. Does it, do those two kind of make sense within this realm of sense of humor? Yeah, no, absolutely. And in fact, you know, I, 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 number one, love having an enthusiast in the audience. When you got that person who's got that great laugh who just goes. But I also think that's probably where I fall. Like in the first two, <laughs> I see myself as I get really enthusiastic about about things. I, I definitely am nodding along as you're talking. So, so of those two, I've identified myself so far. So, so let's keep going. What are the other five? That's fantastic. So then the uh, next kind of area of our personas are related to your ability to humor. So if sense of humor is kind of about what you enjoy or appreciate in the world, then your ability to humor is how do you turn humor into or your ideas into something that other people can resonate. And this is something, Tom, I know you are doing well as well, because this is what we do as speakers, because the first persona within our ability to humor is the inventor. They are the ones who are really good at seeing the things that happen to them and finding humor in it. And they recognize that it's not that funny things happen to funny people. It's that funny people see the things that happen to them in a funny way. They're like, oh, this thing happened. How can I turn that into a story? How can I turn? What's the humor in this particular situation? And from that, you can then start to develop this skill set. And this is understanding things like dynamics. This is where you start to learn, you know, from a strategic level, you might learn a comic triple or a 10 by 10 matrix for association or some of these other things kind of specific. We can talk about any of those if you would like. Then on the flip side of it, if invention is about the creation of humor, then the entertainer, our next persona, is about the delivery of it. The entertainers are the people who know how to speak in such a way that other people listen. This is a big part of the craft that we talk about being on stage. This is voice inflection, pausing, understanding things like timing, not stepping on your laughter, giving enough time for the audience to actually laugh before you start talking again. Right. That's all entertainment skill. Also within that ability to humor. All right. So I I see those two. I I probably am trying to be an inventor, but I'm probably more naturally an entertainer. So I'm seeing myself in that. All right. So we're we're four of seven. What are the next the next ones? So four of seven. Right. So then uh, the last area is the application of humor. Right. So we have the sense of humor, which is kind of what you find funny and interesting. Then you have the ability to humor that's turning that into kind of content or things that other people can resonate with. And then this is the application of humor. What do you use that humor for? Because as I mentioned, one of the other tips is to be very intentional about your humor. And that's where these last two personas come into play. The first is that of the engineer. And the engineer is someone who uses humor to solve problems. 
It's not, hey, I just want to use humor so that people think that I'm funny, but oh, I'm going to start my TEDx talk with a story so that people are captured right away and they're laughing before they even decided if they want to continue watching or not. They're like, oh, I'm engaged in this story. Or it is using kind of that curated humor in an email so that people respond to a message. Or it's using an association, that 10 by 10 matrix in the middle of a presentation so that people understand better what I'm talking about, right? There's this intentionality to it of solving specific challenges or problem in the workplace. And then in addition to that, you have the advocate. And the advocate is someone who is focused on creating the space for humor. So certainly as an engineer, you can kind of see that those components within speaking, but the advocate is when you're doing and facilitating, say, an exercise in a workshop or a training where you are facilitating applied improv or they're doing some type of fun activity, then that is advocacy, right? You're creating the space for other people to create the humor or other people to have this fun without you being the one that says kind of the funny punchline. And that's putting people in positions to succeed. It's kind of recognizing who does what well, uh, which I think is a fantastic thing. And then the last one, so, so that's the application of humor. And then the last one, just to kind of share it very quickly, and we can go back into a deeper dive of some of this, is if you are listening to all of this and you're like, this sounds stupid, or I'm none of those six things that you mentioned, then it is possible that you are the skeptic. And the skeptic is someone who doesn't either believe that they can learn to be funny or they don't see the benefit in using humor. They tend to be like, oh, I'm very serious, right? No, I have to take my work serious. And they, they don't recognize that if what you are communicating is important or if what you are doing is serious, then something like boredom has very serious consequences. And so humor is going to help you to do those things better. And so the skeptics, we just have to kind of convince of the value of it, or we have to at least recognize the skeptics in our audiences to make sure that we're doing the things to kind of get them on board with what we're talking about. So those are the seven personas. So I love these seven personas, and I have been studying comedy for about three and a half years. Now, I would say going back into my speaking career, I always had areas that would get a laugh, but I really Mm -hmm. didn't plan on it. I might have been a bit of a skeptic thinking, no, I I have to sound smart, not funny, if I'm going to be a keynote speaker for corporations or, or associations. And I had an incident that happened three and a half years ago at the National Speakers Association Winter Conference. I was hanging out with a friend of mine who was more of an acquaintance. Now I would call him a friend. And I was he lived in New York. And for those of you who are listening to this story, I'm talking about Drew Tarvin. And I was going to be in New York. And I said, oh, Drew, I'm, I'm going to be in New York two weeks from now. And I'd love to get together. And he only of the days I was there, he was there one night. And I told him what day it was. And he said, oh, I'm going to open mic night that night. Why don't you come with me? And I said, oh, my God, I love comedy. I've never been to an open mic night. I would love to watch you work on new material. To which Drew said, that's not what I'm inviting you to do. Write a five-minute stand-up set, come with me to a comedy club in Greenwich Village, and we'll put your name in, and you will get up on stage and do five minutes of comedy in a comedy club in New York City. To which I said, that is crazy. I am 52 years old. That ship has sailed. I had shared with Drew before that when I was younger, I wanted to be an actor and maybe do sitcoms or, or things like that. I said, that ship has sailed. And Drew looked at me and said, in your keynote, don't you talk about trying new things? God, I hate it when people throw your own content back in your face. So I had to do this. I spent two weeks writing a five-minute set. While in New York, I met Drew. We had dinner. He looked over my set and he said, It looks to me like you just took funny lines from your speech. This is speech humor. It's not stand-up. And I hadn't really thought about the difference. 
And so in about 10 minutes, he helped me rewrite my bit. And I got up that night and I did five minutes at a comedy club in New York City. Now, I'm not going to say I was great. In fact, had Jerry Seinfeld been there, he would not have been worried about job security. That being said, something inside of me said there's something to be learned here. So when I got home and I shared the video with my wife, I said, I'm going to do 100 open mic nights over the next two years. And so from that week forward, once a week, whether I was in Austin or I was traveling, I went to comedy clubs, coffee shops and bars and did open mic nights. And I will tell you, Drew, that it was a pivotal change in a lot of what I do in my business, not because I'm a comedian. I'm still not much better than that first night we went. However, I have learned to be more playful and more courageous on the stage when I'm doing podcasting, when I'm doing virtual presentations, and it all goes back to the comedy. So I appreciate what you're talking about, but you didn't have this framework when you first were telling me about comedy around these personas. So what would you tell me now that I have 126 open mic nights under my belt and I've been in eight comedy shows? What would you tell me now to learn from these seven personas? Well, it's, it's a fantastic story, Tom. And I, I, I am so happy that you said yes to, to, to coming and trying it and that you've taken it and run with it. And I've done this with a number of other speakers as well. When they've come to New York City, whether it's been, you know, I took Phil Jones to his first kind of stand-up show, to Melissa Agnes, uh, uh, a number of other uh, speakers. And what's interesting is I think the value of it, and this is stand-up very much sits within kind of that invention and entertainer personas, right? The writing of the material beforehand is that invention how do I actually structure this in a way that's interesting? And are there structures that are going to maybe help me say this? And then the entertaining piece of it is how do I deliver this? And kind of what I mentioned, you know, speaking comedy is different than stand-up comedy in terms of shortness. Like as speakers, we like to go on and we give the, I was talking to a bunch of CEOs in front of this group and here I'm adding this credibility and this small factor here. And I was traveling here and I was in this beautiful hotel and it's like, Comedy clubs don't care about any of that. If it's not going to help you tell the punchline, they don't care about your credibility building that you're kind of, you know, giving in your stories, et cetera. And so all of that is, it can be, it can be refined. And I think the value of it as a speaker is that stand up to me is one of the hardest forms of speaking that we can do. And so if you get better at it, if you can make five people in a basement in New York City laugh, or if you can make 20 people in a comedy club laugh, or 30 people who are watching TVs in a bar while an open mic is going on, right? If you can get their engagement and get them to laugh and feel comfortable in that setting, weirdly enough, the 200-person audience or the 500-person or the 1,000-person audience that you're speaking to, it becomes a little bit easier because you're like, oh, no, I've already done these harder venues. So just kind of that additional context, the value of it as a speaker, and that fits within the inventor and entertainer. And what I would tell you in terms of now you're 120 plus in is what you're recognizing is that you can be each one of these personas at different points in your day or even in the same meeting, you might adapt, right? As you said, oh, I started out maybe as a skeptic thinking that I couldn't do this or maybe I'm, my work is I need to have this serious face that I'm presenting to people. And then you try some writing and you become the inventor. Then you put it on stage and you're the entertainer. Now, if you take the material that you've done, so what I would say to you next is think, start to think like an engineer. Start to think about, okay, if I'm going to an open mic, what material do I want to work on? Is it just material that I find interesting or do I have a keynote coming up 
and I should work on a story related to that keynote, right? What, so- what problem am I going to solve and how am I going to practice this, right? Or, oh, okay, I could be a curator. My, my grandfather has this really interesting story that actually fits my keynote content. So rather than this being a story about me, what if I kind of like with their permission told the story from my grandma- grandfather's perspective, right? So that's what I'd say is now you can start to be a little bit more intentional about what you're doing in those open mics and how that's translating to the stage. So it's interesting because when I looked at the the list, engineer was the one I said, okay, that's probably not me. But the way you just framed that is as speakers, that's what we're there to do. We're there to solve problems. And so if you can use humor as part of the foundation of how you're helping the clients solve problems, all of a sudden, now you're not just there with great content. You're there and you're fun and funny at the same time. So this is really, really fascinating to me. Now, I know that you've taken dozens of, of other professional speakers to their first open mic night and and pushed them up on stage like you you did me. And I know that I'm the Frankenstein that you created who's done 126 of them. My, my wife and children kind of cringe when the name Drew Tarvin comes up because they're like, oh, Yeah, he's the one who made dad do this comedy stuff. But Mm -hmm. why do you think open mic nights and and learning the comedy the way I have and the way some other people have, why do you think it helps people be better speakers? Advance Your Reach changes lives every day by helping leaders, entrepreneurs, and anyone with a notable mission to build their own platforms, seize the mic, deliver a powerful message, and change the world. Adventure Reach is sponsoring their world-changing seven-day platform tour, a virtual event starting on October 11th and featuring leaders and renowned speakers like Hall of Famer Emmett Smith and business icon Sarah Blakely. More than 30 top influencers are set to share their platform-building systems. It's the ultimate empowerment event of the year. Visit success.advanceyourreach.com slash platform tour so that you can register for free right now. Why do you think open mic nights and, and learning the comedy the way I have and the way some other people have, why do you think it helps people be better speakers? Well, I think it's because, you know, the... There's a certain status. If you're speaking at a at a conference and you get the nice bio read in and, uh, you know, they talk about it, maybe there's a video or whatever. Your picture has been in the brochure and all that kind of stuff. There's a certain uh, level one of expectation, which maybe makes things harder, but also like a certain like people are already bought into you. There's credibility that comes to the fact that you were selected to be on that stage. And so uh, one that makes it a little bit easier and an open mic no one cares how successful you've been. No one cares how many speaking events that you've done in the past. They don't care how much money you've made in your business. They don't care what you did in kind of your previous history or whatever. They care, are you funny in that moment? So it's one of the most honest tests that you can get of your material. And as mentioned, it's going to be a really hard audience, right? It's not going to be the like audience that is, especially if you're, especially if you're working on material for a corporate audience. Like it's easier to go into an open mic and be like, I'm just going to start cursing and do blue material and talk about, you know, sex jokes or poop jokes or whatever, things that you would never say in a corporate audience. But if you can take the material, like I get, I'm even if I'm doing a 10 PM Friday night show, I am working on material that is about math or is about communication or stories that I know that I can relate that are appropriate for speaking. And that makes it harder. But again, if I know if I get a small laugh, 
and an open mic, then it's going to be a huge laugh in front of an audience. The other thing is that we know that we get better through practice and repetition. And especially if you're early on in your speaking career, it can be sometimes hard to get that repetition, right? It can sometimes be hard to book those things. But in most cities around the, the U.S. at least, and certainly around the world as well, you can find at least one open mic every single week. So you could be working on at least five minutes of your speech every single week. Places like New York or even bigger cities, it's like you might be able to do that too three times, four times. You can do it with a virtual open mic. It's an opportunity to get those reps. Austin, Texas, because Texas wasn't as locked down last year during the pandemic, all of the young comics or many of the young comics from Austin and Los Angeles all moved to Austin. So the interesting Mm -hmm. thing is there's three or four open mic nights a night in Austin right now because there's just so much so many comics here Uh, Joe Rogan moved here and is opening a comedy club so there's there's a big draw so what I've found is number one there's a lot of chances for me to get out uh, in 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 my community that weren't that way three years ago now going back to this idea of open mics one of the things that we see with speakers as they become famous and established is they tend to stop working on new material they tend to have their speech that works and they go out and do it And yet with comics, famous comics, working comics, they still go to open mic night often. You find, you know, the biggest name comics dropping in to the comedy store in different cities and things like that so that they can work out that material before they get onto the main stage uh, doing their special for Netflix. So what do you think in general speakers can learn from comics? Well, I think that they, well, I, that absolutely is a, is a key component of one humor is always evolving. And this is one of the things that, you know, I, I've been doing some work with uh, some senior executives recently, and I keep getting this feedback from one or two people in some of the workshops and things that we're doing is like, what about cancel culture? Right? what about, you know, the fact you can't say anything these days, people are too PC, they're too sensitive. And the reality is like, culture is always evolving. It's always changing. So for people who say I can't use humor because people are too sensitive or because of cancel culture, what I hear is one, either I am not funny enough to adapt to the changing kind of expectations of an audience or two, I'm too lazy to try or three, I'm so ingrained in my prejudice that I refuse to try to like change and, and make anything that's a little bit more positive, and inclusive, right? And so the reason, so comedians know this, so they know that they always have to be working on material because what works for you pre-pandemic, right? We're starting to open back up. You might start to think like, oh, great, I can finally get back to that in-person audience and this great story that I used to tell. It's a year and a half later, the world has completely changed. That material may no longer resonate And you have to adapt. You have to change it. And maybe sometimes even just a tweak. Oh, changing from instead of saying, um, here's this annoying thing to something related to now Zoom or whatever. Like early on, it was like, oh, you might say, um, if I talked about virtual meetings pre-pandemic, I'd probably say something like WebEx. Well, now I say Zoom because it's become synonymous with virtual meetings. So sometimes even just that word change has a huge impact. And you learn that by testing it. To your exact point, test it in front of an audience that's not paying you. That's maybe a little bit drunk, depending on the open mic. We test it there before you're actually saying it in front of a, a open mic audience. So I think a big thing that people can learn is the the need or the value of of testing, and that's what you're doing as this inventor, as this kind of entertainer, as you're testing, you're refining, you're tweaking it. And I do agree that first of all, writing corporate clean humor is harder than the poop jokes and the sex jokes, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I, will, I will say that people often ask me, a lot of my speaker friends are like, oh, send me a video. And I'm like, yeah, my, my stand-up stuff isn't corporate clean. I'm not filthy. I'm not Bob Saget doing stand-up. 
but uh, it's not what I would say on a corporate stage. So I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily publish it. But one of my goals coming back to doing standup after the pandemic is I'm trying, and it's a, a long process. I'm trying to learn to work on that corporate clean and and to get that repetition of of doing it. Because you're right, we might live in a cancel culture, but no one's going to cancel you for corporate clean level humor. And I've seen you speak and. All of your stuff is is really clean. There's a lot of puns. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of jokes about math and engineering. No one's going to cancel you for that math joke. Right, exactly. And, and I mean, that's the engineer in you, right? So as you mentioned, like, oh, I don't know if I'm the engineer. Oh, the engineer is saying, I'm going to work on material that I can then use in, in corporate. And you're right, it is a little bit harder, but it is, to me, I always wanted, I wanted my material to be rated mom. Right. I wanted my mom to watch whatever it is that I said or did and, and for her to be proud of it. And that's that's where, like, say, something like stories can come together, these interesting associations. And and that's the, the value of this intersection of things is to say, you know, the connecting these personas, I think, is what becomes very valuable. This is what's new and what has me geeked about the idea of humor is that is you're recognizing it's not just the setup and punchline that I give, but it is me being an enthusiast for other people and being supportive, or as you mentioned, the engineers, this is, I think it's this engineering or the solving problem component that I have a somewhat serious client list because people are surprised that I've done work with Microsoft. Sure. People are like, okay, I kind of expect that, but also the United Nations, the red cross, the FBI. And it's like, like what did, what did people, what did, what did the FBI want? Like, and I know like, like if you like me, the United Nations, boy, there's a barrel of laughs. Right. Right. Exactly. This is so much fun, but like, and that's the connection of like, when you, when you use it to solve problems, that's where people start to see the value of it. Cause the FBI was like, when they email me, so my, my TEDx talk comes out and a couple of months later, I get an email from the FBI and I'm like, Oh no. Right. Like, what did I did I use an image that I wasn't supposed to did I use a copyrighted image and they're after me? Or did they they realize that I illegally downloaded Harlem World by Mace when I was a super young as an album or what's going on? And it, it turns out so they had uh, someone, one of the FBI agents uh, in this office had watched my TEDx talk and made him laugh out loud. He sent it to a couple of other agents. They also laughed. And initially I was like, do they, do they want this for interrogation? Is this going to be like, you know, they're interrogating a criminal and they're sitting there smoking a cigarette in this dimly lit room. And they're like, all right, I'm only going to ask you this one last time. Why did the chicken cross the road? <laughs> what was on the other side, man? What was like, is that what's going to happen? It's like, no, it turns out that they have an office of private sector where they have to work with non-criminals and they wanted to see, could humor help them to reduce these status differentials and build rapport? And it's like, absolutely. And so we taught them those specific skills versus kind of setup and punchline. And so that engineering piece, that intentionality changes the type of humor that you might use. And that, I think, is what, as speakers, they can start to do that. That was that kind of second tip about intentionality is that rather than just saying, I need to be funny so that I'm funny, I, people tell me if I want to get paid, I need to be funny. Be like, no, but what, what can that funny serve me? If I have this really important talk and I'm making people like really kind of like down in the audience and they're weeping and all that might be very emotional and good, but maybe I don't want to leave them in that place. How can I come back out of it to re resolve some of the tension in the room kind of intentionally? That piece, I think, becomes where it becomes really when you combine this skill with the solving of a problem, that's when it becomes really powerful. So that's a perfect segue into that second tip about being intentional in how you use humor, because I think you're right. I think for a lot of speakers, they think, oh, I'm not funny. Therefore, I won't use humor or I've been told I have to be funny. So I'm going to open with some knock knock joke. And it's like, yeah, that didn't really work. What do you mean by being intentional for humor and how can speakers learn that? 
Yeah, I think what I mean by it is just kind of saying, okay, think about your speech as a whole or think about your business as a whole and think about what are the challenges that you have right now? What are the bigger challenges? And then say, can humor be part of the the solution? And so I can certainly be theoretical, but Tom, I know you talk to a lot of speakers and things like that. So what's one challenge you think that speakers are dealing with right now? And let's see if we can talk about how humor might help to not necessarily completely resolve it, but help be part of a solution. Well, I mean, for me, I would say one of the biggest problems that speakers are facing isn't anything on stage with their speech. It's it's getting back to the stage. Right. So it's getting Mm -hmm. noticed in a world where I think there's more speakers out there now and there's there's less opportunities because there's still a lot of people who haven't come back to face to face. A lot of people aren't doing virtual. So there's less opportunities. How can speakers get noticed is, I think, the biggest problem. So how how can being intentional? How can we how can we use this to help people looking for business? Yeah, I think it's a great question. So there's a couple of different ways that you can do that, right? So there's the the outbound approach, right? Code outreach and things like that. Outbound approach, which I think would be a fantastic place to use humor. In fact, I, uh, there's a great speaker, Ian Altman, who talks about sales, and we were talking about humor in sales, and he was like, you know, one of the most effective cold callers that I've ever met would start his cold calls with, "This is a cold call. If you want to hang up, now is your chance." <laughs> to start the cold call right away with a little bit of humor and you get people to smile and you start to notice, you probably are noticing it with people reaching out to you. There people are starting to use a little bit more humor of like, Hey, you know, like, uh, I've been reading your website and actually I'm kidding you. I'm sure you hear that all the time, but here's what it is. Right. And I always, a lot of times I delete cold outreach emails for things like websites and stuff like that. Unless the person makes me smile or laugh, then I at least respond to them and say, Hey, thank you for the smile, but I'm not interested right? Because at least at a minimum, it's a positive experience in my day. I may not hire you, but at least I have a positive association with that outreach. So if you are going to do outreach, I'd say, how can you incorporate a little bit of humor into that? Either in that first line, some incongruity humor, kind of some radical honesty that is like, okay, this person understands the situation and now I can, they're, they're addressing kind of the, the elephant in the room or what we would say in stand-up of calling the moment. And so I, they at least recognize kind of what's going on. I think same way of just doing things unexpected. That's what we mean by humor is it doesn't always have to be a punchline. And so if you're doing outreach, I know a lot of people are starting to have more and more success with video outreach. So rather than just an email using something like Hippo Video or Loom or one of these other services, so it's a video. But with that video, I'd say, can you have a message or a whiteboard with a little bit of humor on it in the thumbnail itself so that they know it's customized for them, right? And it's another tweak to say, okay, how can I just do these things a little bit differently? So that's if you're doing outbound. If you're doing more of an inbound approach, humor is going to be a massive way to draw or increase your following. If you look at social media and the speakers that are doing well on social media, I think in addition to having a clear message and following some of the stuff that um, uh, Aaron talked about at Influence in her great session, um, uh, Aaron Gargan King, like fantastic stuff when it comes to social media, there's also a humor component. They actually enjoy it. They smile, they laugh. It makes them them feel good about themselves. So using humor and how you are delivering your message, people are more likely to resonate and click on it. And I think that's why my TEDx talk has done well is because it is humorous, because it is a positive. It's like, oh, this brought me some joy. So I'm going to send this to someone else because it's going to bring them some joy. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it, it totally makes sense. And I'm thinking about all the areas where in, in my own career I can I can be intentional. And, you know, as I learn to be funnier, how I can, you know, put that humor into an, an intentional space. So as we wrap up this episode, what else about humor have we not covered that you wish every speaker knew? 
Well, I think it's a reminder that uh, humor is a skill, that it is something that can be learned and improved, and it comes with practice and repetition, and that these personas, you know, the, the intention behind them is, one, for people to be able to identify themselves, like maybe like you might say like, oh, yeah, I'm the enthusiast. I laugh a lot. Other people might be like, oh, I'm constantly sending jokes to my friend. So I maybe I am the curator. So hopefully there is one that you kind of identify with and recognize. Let me start there. Let me start with that persona, what I already do naturally with my friends and kind of tweak this and build for my own business. But to recognize that these aren't set personalities, there's a, a reason why we call them personas instead of personalities, is that all of them can be learned. All of them can be improved. And as a speaker and as a business owner, because we're teaching this to CEO and C-suite executives, et cetera, as well, is that you, there will be times that you want to adapt. I mean, imagine if you go in, if I go and watch you speak, Tom, like I want to be that enthusiast in the front row. I want to be that positive face that is being that like encouragement. That's a big part of what NSA can provide is being the encouragement of other people, right? Even on social media, being the enthusiast of like, hey, this was a fantastic thing, right? Tom's doing a fantastic job with the Speakernomics podcast. So it's like leaving a review. That's an enthusiast. So these small things that you can do to help support the people around you, et cetera, like, so being willing to then adapt to these different personas. And I would say the biggest thing is, is bringing it more intentionally, kind of saying, okay, this is something that I can learn. Here's how I want to actually go about doing it. Here's, it, it starts with a choice, right? It started with you making the choice to say yes, to say, I'm going to try this. Of course, I'm more than happy to help other people. You know, if they want to do stand up to try, I'm sure Tom, if someone reached out to you and was like, Hey, I'm going to be in Austin. You've been talking about this open mic thing. I would imagine you'd be like, I come with me. Let's I, do it. I'm like Drew Tarvin Jr. I've taken about five or six speakers to open night, not dozens, but a, but a handful uh, for the same for the same exact reason. The other thing, before I let you go, as I look through uh, the first six uh, personas, not the skeptic one, you don't even necessarily have to be funny to use these personas to grow your business. Because if you're an enthusiast, we've talked about how that works. Obviously, in our world, you know, curating other people's things is part of what we do. I mean, it's not just, you can't just be the person who goes out there and goes, I've made everything up in my head because we all know that we learn from other people. Uh, being that inventor and finding the ways, you know, to pull those things together. Of course, I think you have to be an entertainer if you're in our industry. You've shown me the path of the engineer today about solving problems with this. And then, of course, being that advocate you know, portion, uh, you know, and supporting other people, even if you're not funny, if you just embrace those six of the seven personas, I think it's going to help you make more money and be more successful as a speaker. And if you can do it with humor, boom, huge win. I, I don't think I need to add anything else to that. I, mean, I think that's a fantastic synopsis and a recognition that this is why I talk about the skill of humor and not say the skill of comedy, because humor is more broad than comedy. It's more about fun over funny. It's more about levity over kind of laughter, although laughter is often included, but it's that recognition. And, and you, yeah, if you absolutely want to work on punchlines, stand up is a great way to do that. But there's also plenty of other ways to get started. Yeah, ab absolutely. Doing stand up, you know, in, in dive bars, uh, you know, in, in weird cities is not for everybody. Uh, but I do thank you because it's had a serious impact on, on my career and my life uh, in, a, in a lot of ways. And I'm glad that I, I went 
to the club with you in New York, and I'm glad that I embraced it on this journey. Uh, I said it was to 100, but I obviously haven't stopped. So uh, I'm now I'm now on a goal of 300 open mic nights. So we'll, we'll see how long it takes me to get there. I love it. It's going to be amazing to see kind of where you are from that. And so the last thing that I would share is, uh, you know, certainly if, if people are curious about this, we do have a completely free two-minute assessment on our website of, you know, hey, if you're like, which one of these personas am I or what exactly can I do this? So if you go to uh, humor.me slash assessment, uh, then you can kind of take that free assessment if you're like, okay, I want to get started to learn a little bit more. But it all, my, my guess is just by listening, you've started to identify it, and hopefully that's at least enough of a spur. But if you have questions, if you're going to find yourself in New York City, reach out to me. If you're going to be in Austin, reach out to Tom, like whatever it is, but more than happy to help or at least support or even give you some tips because this is this, the reason why this is so valuable to me and the reason why I'm, I'm so happy that you took it this and ran with this, Tom, is that the same thing happened to me. To me. I was a computer science engineering student at Ohio State when I was kind of pushed into comedy and it's completely transformed how I show up, not just on a stage, but also in life. And so it's been a huge thing that I have, I've, I've learned. And so if I can help to encourage or promote other people to do that, that's absolutely what I want to do. Awesome. Well, again, Drew, thanks for being here. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. Join us every single week for more thoughts, ideas, and actionable information on how to make more money and be more successful as a professional speaker. And be sure that you're following the National Speakers Association. Go check them out at nsaspeaker.org. And then finally, always remember the motto of this podcast, speak, get paid, repeat. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.